So this is Application Paranoia, Season 3, Episode 7. So welcome again to Application Paranoia, our podcast dedicated to application security, DevSecOps, and AppScan. I'm Colin Bell, and joining me as always are my relaxed colleagues, Rob Cuddy and Chris Stewart. So on this episode, we're going to be talking to Andre Kedick, who is a specialist in quantum computing. It's one of our um, top 10 trends, so we're very interested in finding out more about it. I don't know very much, so I know I'm going to learn a lot. It's good to be back. We've taken a little break over the summer, so we should all be relaxed. So how are you, Rob? What's been happening? I am doing great. Um, it's nice to see things picking back up. So uh, we're in a little bit of a heavy travel season, which is nice. Uh, it kind of almost feels normal again. And I've got, uh, you know, all the adult children living at home. So that's kind of fun as well. Um, but yeah, lots of cool things going on. And for me, this is a great time of year because college football is in full swing. And I'm a huge college football fan. So watching a lot of that on the weekends and enjoying that and getting a chance to take some games in. Um, I don't know if you saw last night, though. I thought it was really interesting. There was a, an NFL game between the uh, the Rams and the 49ers where somebody ran across the field with a smoke bomb and <laughs> was completely obliterated by one of the Rams players. A guy named Bobby Wagner just <laughs> laid him out him, did in, the, in the Florida. <laughs> and it was, it was amazing to watch. Um, but... You probably don't want to get tackled no, by a unit. No, but that was funny. Was, you know, the guy you know, eluded security guards and eluded all of the different event people that were trying to chase him. And one of the Ram players just came off the bench and said, I'm ending this. And, and laid him out. And it, was, uh, it was fun to watch. Um, but yeah. So, and, and fun fact for you, while, while I was up in San Jose last week, I, I had the interesting distinction of seeing the Mexican national team and the Colombian national team were playing a football match in San Jose, California. And I just had a really hard time wrapping my head around why there. Um, but it's really, it interesting. So good hot yeah, dogs. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> but the stadium was packed from from what I could tell, and uh, yeah, it was a fascinating match. So, so yeah, a lot going on in the sporting world for me. <laughs> so, Chris, what's been happening with you? What's what's, what's... that was a hell of a good summer. I don't know. We took advantage of well disc golf because that's what I do. But it kind of brought us everywhere to Vermont and to New Hampshire and to Massachusetts. Well, pretty much just here, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but you know it gives you an excuse to travel to places you wouldn't normally on pretty short money so you, you get an airbnb spend the night spend two nights play some disc golf eat some good food it's pretty yes. awesome miss seeing your colleagues in a restaurant walk right by them yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah that was you that was me. i saw yes, you exactly. and you missed me was... apparently it'd been so <laughs> long <laughs> yeah, exactly. so so I, I, I we talked about things that happened just recently but did you see no, I don't know if you saw. I was reading it this morning on the uh, the the lottery system in the Philippines, um, which the, the, they're having an investigation because there's 433 people won the jackpot. You know, really? Is that all? 433. <laughs> and, and, hmm. and then when you look into it, you go, hmm. why? Did, why was it? And the, <laughs> let me tell you the numbers. The numbers that won were nine, eighteen, twenty-seven, thirty-six. 
45 and 54. <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> there's, there's no, oh, that does not pass. No <laughs> wow. Holy moly. Are we in a different universe or was this thing? Well, one Buffalo. of the guys seemingly, he, he does all the sevens, all the eights times table, the nine times table. You know, it's like, yeah. <laughs> one of them's going to come up. <laughs> this, is, this is straight out of Buffalo and Bruce Almighty, right? <laughs> yeah, for real. It's like the one in what, $500 trillion chance or some yes. nonsense. All I got to say is, you know, if you've got something you want to try that has a very low chance of succeeding, apparently do it. If this was real. I don't think it is. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, wow. it's funny though. It is funny. Wow, wow, wow! So Only I four hundred and thirty people though, right? I still, I still have some more um, Australian names as well. Is it worth having another one? Excellent. <laughs> it's worth it. Always worth it. Why not? We're getting this one. Oh, yeah. right. You're going to get one three. right. Okay. Um, blister. If someone calls you Blister. Mm. Oh, oh, mate, he's a. He's I'm going to go with. <laughs> oh man. I'm going to go with um, somebody who just walks a lot. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. I'm That's too easy. I'm going to go with somebody who causes a lot of friction and is highly annoying. Yeah, get in there. No, no it's, it's, it's someone who appears when all the hard work is done. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> wow. Oh, shocking, isn't it? See, I would have thought more callous on that, but, you know. Oh, <laughs> I guess they don't have nice yeah. names for people. Wow. <laughs> like, you're just a great person. What does that mean exactly? <laughs> oh, here comes Blister. <laughs> well, hey, friends, welcome back to another episode for Application Paranoia. And we are really excited this week to have Andre Koenig with us. Uh, Andre is a published author and speaker and expert on deep technology with 25 years of experience working with Fortune 500 companies, investing companies, and startups. He's the CEO today of Interface, or sorry, he's the CEO of Interference Advisors, the premier business intelligence provider for quantum technology, and he's the chairman of One Quantum, which is the leading quantum tech community globally, with today over 35,000 members, and he's a managing partner of Entanglement Capital, which is a quantum tech investment fund and startup accelerator. Um, Andre has studied quantum computing at MIT with a number of certificates and holds an MBA in economics from the University of Chicago Booth School of Business, as well as a master's in business from the ICN School of Management. He speaks fluent English, German, French, and some Italian, and he's competed in national sailing championships and also pursues special combat and martial arts training, which I'm sure we'll ask about. So Andre, we are delighted to have you with us. And if people haven't figured out that we're going to talk about quantum computing in this episode, um, we would love to just start, though, with this notion that so many people have probably heard of it or maybe have some idea of what this really is. But but why is quantum important uh, to the average person and what exactly is it? Well, first of all, Rob, thank you for that introduction. Can you do that every morning? That's really good for my ego. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, sure thing. Very nice. Quantum, everybody probably reading about it in the news yesterday and today. Uh, three famous quantum scientists, uh, Anton Seilinger, Alan Asbeck, and John Clauser, actually just were awarded the Nobel Prize for physics for some of the foundational research uh, into quantum 
physics and uh, uh, you know uh, an aspect of it which we call quantum entanglement and this really started in the 30s um, when Albert Einstein made a weird thought experiment uh, around entanglement which is this notion that you have an element like an electron or a photon an element of light uh, that is entangled without any physical connection any way of exchanging information with a second element and uh, you manipulate the first one the second one will mirror that instantly and Albert Einstein said how is that possible we're, we're limited by the speed of light this uh, this makes no sense and it uh, took uh, uh, until really uh, Anton Allen and, and John did their experiments uh, proving that this uh, theory of entanglement, which is one of the foundations of quantum physics, uh, is indeed correct and defies the laws of not just uh, speed of light, but uh, Newtonian physics, um, mm. you know, the classical physics that we know that describes the world that we all see and, and know with gravity and, and, and friction mm -hmm. and, and, and all these laws that we might have uh, studied or, or heard of. But quantum physics is weird. It's uh, spooky, Einstein called it. It's the science of the very small, right? I'm standing at this laminated wood desk here talking to you. You break that down. It's going to be some, some plastic, some wood. You break that down. You'll have molecules. The molecules will be made out of uh, electrons and protons. Those will be made out of quarks and leptons. And at that minute level, these laws of physics just don't apply anymore. And, and that's what quantum physics or quantum mechanics is with this law of entanglement but also the law of superposition where any given uh, element doesn't have a binary behavior like we know from computing which we'll be talking about for example where everything is zero or one a negative or a positive charge that's then compiled into a zero or one and and then we make beautiful things out of it like ai or, or the blockchain or digital uh, in quantum in a state of superposition everything has a value between zero and one and all values at the same time. So there are all these laws, superposition, entanglement, interference being another one, uh, which we've been proving out theoretically and experimentally uh, uh, over the last 80, 90 years since, since Einstein made this observation. And for the last 20 or so years, um, companies like IBM, Google, Microsoft, Amazon, and, and a universe of about 500 startups globally has started to build technology on, on, on these uh, uh, principles, uh, specifically quantum computers, but also quantum sensors, quantum communications, and quantum encryption. Wow. I gotta, wow. <clears throat> it's an interesting thing, because it sounds a little bit like it's the Schrodinger's cat of computing. <laughs> it's both alive and dead, but I'm curious, and I've always been curious, what does quantum give us that the regular old school poopy machines, I guess, that we have today compared to quantum is supposed to be in the future. What does it give us that we don't already have? And the uh, Schrodinger's cat, Chris, is uh, a thought experiment around superposition, right? A cat in a box. You don't see it, and it's only when you open the box and observe it that you can say if it is uh, dead or alive because of that little file of uh, poison in it. And, and that's exactly... Um, what happens in, in quantum as well. We don't know what happens, what kind of value something has until we observe it. And um, so all these technologies that we're building on, on, on these principles, they allow us to solve certain mathematical problems which classical technology simply cannot solve. And uh, us humans, we've, uh, and I exclude myself from that because I'm just a business guy, 
but we've become extremely good at building supercomputers, artificial intelligence that build representations or models of the weather or a COVID vaccine or a financial portfolio to try to answer these complex mathematical questions. But we can only answer them by proxy, which means we're very slow to answer them. We're very imperfect at answering them. And there is a ceiling of what we are mathematically, physically able to answer. A caffeine molecule, for example, I'm not a coffee drinker, despite being a, a German, I'm a beer drinker, which, which is already more complex uh, chemically. Uh, a caffeine molecule has so many elements in it that no supercomputer in the world will ever be able to calculate the optimal cup of coffee, depending on your preferences. It's mathematically too complex. It's called an NP-hot problem, and uh, it's part of the uh, computational complexity theory, where we will never be able, no matter how fast and how good our AI, our supercomputers, and our models get, some of these problems. And these problems, these NP-hard problems, happen to be some of the most important problems of, of mankind. I, I mentioned you know, medicine, like drug discovery and, and testing, uh, a lot of uh, things that happen on Wall Street, from trading to, to investing to, to risk assessment fall into this bucket. But Schrodinger's cat, where we can't observe if it's dead or alive, that principle is also applied in, uh, in uh, security especially in encryption, because uh, if we have an encryption key, for example, and I'm sure we'll talk about that later, and uh, we don't know what its value is uh, until we observe it, but when we observe it, it dies, theoretically, that encryption is foolproof, at least mathematical. That is the theory, and we're just uh, now starting to build the, the machines and the technology and the products to uh, try and implement all of that. Yeah, and that leads me um, to my next question that I'm dying to know. <clears throat> we have all these wonderful, can't be broken algorithms like SHA-256, 1024, etc. Supposedly can't be broken, but then MD5 once upon a time supposedly couldn't be broken. SHA-1 supposedly couldn't be broken. Are we able to break these algorithms with, with quantum? And, and the follow-up to that is, does quantum have their own algorithms that are, as you say, uh, foolproof because you can't observe the key, so to speak? And I really want to stretch how early we are in the development of quantum technologies. When you see these quantum computers, for example, they look like beautiful golden chandeliers. Um, that, that's just the way they are architected. Uh, but they really can't do much today. However, we know that mathematically, they will be able to do exactly what, what you just alluded to, Chris. Um, uh, namely, come up with algorithms that are just mathematically and, and you know, computationally unhackable in theory. Will we be able to build it as a different question? But at the same time, break current encryption standards. Current encryption standards, to, to start there, uh, are largely built on factorization, right, as, as underlying mathematical principle, um, which is a very simple way to, to do something, but a very hard problem um, uh, to, uh, to, to crack. You multiply 563 by 2,329. Um, some of us can do that in their head. Others need a calculator. <laughs> but getting the result from that number of, of the two initial um, uh, factors is almost impossible for a classical computer and will be for a long time because of this computational complexity theory. A quantum computer, that is exactly the type of NP-hard problem with the right algorithms. And you mentioned 
the Shor algorithm, there's also the Grover algorithm, and new type of quantum math that is emerging to describe all these problems and applications that, that we already touched upon, they can, in theory, solve this instantly. So it's not about speed. And yes, a quantum computer will be faster than a classical computer, the same way that uh, a fighter jet is faster than, than a kite. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it's not really about speed, it's about the physics uh, uh, behind it. But in theory, it can solve a factorization problem instantly. And we are doing that already at a small scale in the lab. Um, you ask experts like me and many others will be you know, somewhere between five and 10 years away from having enough computational power to actually do that. But there are two problems, all right? The first problem, and if you've ever worked in the enterprise, then you know this, is uh, well, you have to patch your ex existing systems. And, and if you're, if you're you know, a big Wall Street bank or a big telecom company, that's an IT project that can easily take 5, 10, 15 years. So uh, if, if we think that it takes 5 to 10 years to have enough quantum computing power to break uh, RSA encryption standards and, and other methods, but it takes 5 to 15 years to patch your IT systems yeah. with tens of thousands of applications, uh, we have a problem there, right? There, there's a risk exposure. Uh, we call it the Moscow law. Uh, the, the other big, and there's some goofy statistics floating around, uh, for example, that some foreign state actors already harvested roughly 70% of all existing data um, on the web and are just storing it, right? And you know, what do I care if somebody breaks into my email in, in 10 years and they don't even speak English or German or French or whatever I write in, uh, poor, poor Italian. But if this is some sensitive state information or um, uh, still some access information to, to your local wastewater management, um, which can really ruin your life if that gets shut off, right. that is critical as well, right? So we're far, far away from being able to do this. Um, but companies are implementing this today. In the US, the White House issued a directive just a couple weeks or a couple months ago uh, that all critical infrastructure providers need to start implementing what we call post-quantum um, uh, safe encryption. And, and there are two ways to do that. One is uh, with quantum computing hardware. One is with quantum computing algorithms um, uh, called PQC or QKD, quantum key distribution. Um, the National Institute of Standards and Technology is running kind of this competition to figure out what the best QKD and PQC uh, algorithms and solutions are that we can implement. They announced uh, six or eight weeks ago the first seven winners. Uh, three of them have been hacked uh, by now on laptops. So that competition, which has been going on for five or six years, needs, uh, needs some fine tuning but the uh, uh, folks are working on it. And it's interesting because it seems a little bit like um, the moon landing. Whoever gets there first with their little quantum computing <laughs> and solves this problem wins the world yeah. <laughs> a little bit. Then you have the keys to the kingdom, the keys to everything. I, that, that's how I feel. And <clears throat> I sometimes get some heat in, in our small and, and fine quantum ecosystem for saying that, but I think this is a winner take all kind of industry and there are no fast followers. And um, it's not like the winner take all will dominate the world, but within certain applications, being quantum safe communication or cracking uh, classical uh, communication channels or coming up with the perfect financial portfolio or a drug against cancer, I think it's a winner take all um, type of uh, product and, and innovation 
because in its result, it is so binary. It either solves a problem or it doesn't. Right. Quantum computing doesn't just get you a little closer to the result by making something incrementally better. It solves something that today we cannot solve. And either it solves it or it doesn't. Uh, so, so I think it is a winner-take-all uh, kind of situation, which is why every big national government in the world, not just the US, but the Europe, the UK, Israel, Japan, Australia, China, Russia, um, have, have invested you know, 50, 60 billion in, into it by now uh, around national uh, strategies. Yeah. So, so, so Andre, we, we're, we're kind of discussing this. I'd like to take it back a little bit lower level if, if I could. Um, we're discussing this because it came up as one of the top 10 trends seen for 2022 is that quantum computing would suddenly be a thing. Um, in your experience, are you seeing that that is genuinely happening or do you still see that it's three or four years away before it becomes sort of more mainstream? De define trend. Um, I mean, I'm wearing a, yeah. a, a T-shirt from Target, not, not to drop names, <laughs> but um, I'm, I'm not sure what a trend is. Um, well, uh, well, well again, just, just where IT companies are going to be investing their money and, 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 and businesses. Yeah. Awareness there is, is, is still lacking and we don't have good data or surveys to really answer that question. The way I, I view it is, um, you know, the point I just made. For governments, this is uh, an equal priority to nuclear war or you know, whatever else you, you might name. It's, it's a top national strategic priority. Uh, for all the big research universities around the world, this is their biggest field of um, uh, investments and, and focus. Uh, Nobel Prize, uh, that's how we kicked off. You see the importance it's getting there, right? Uh, when you look at private capital, for example, this year will be at around two to 2.5 billion in venture capital uh, globally in quantum technologies. That's nothing. Blockchain mm -hmm. is going to be about 20 billion. Mm -hmm. AI is going to be 85 to 90 billion US dollars this year. Absolutely nothing. Last year we had about just short of half a billion in, uh, in revenue from these 500 or so vendors uh, uh, active in quantum tech. Tiny, tiny, tiny. That is growing, doubling, tripling still tiny, tiny little numbers, right? Mm. If you look at the Fortune 500, and I mentioned Wall Street, two thirds of those banks on Wall Street, they have dedicated quantum teams with the best scientists, uh, IT experts, business experts you could imagine. And these are not necessarily innovation teams. These are teams that report into the CEO. Uh, this, this is strategic for these companies. And that's the same at you know, pharma companies, telecom companies, uh, other companies, um, the logistics providers, the traveling salesman problem, which is another optimization NP hard problem that, that quantum promises to solve. They are all very, very aware of this. The second tier, the third tier, um, I, I don't think they, they really know about this. And uh, that's going to create a big gap and a big problem. Hmm. Yeah, and I'd, I'd imagine that cost is a, is a factor for it becoming something more widespread spread as well. Like I, it, it, from what I know about quantum, it doesn't sound like it's a cheap um, technology to get into. It's, it's, you know, it, it needs a lot of investment. It needs a lot of special skills, etc. So, it, does does something need to happen to make it more mainstream? That make to bring that cost down. 
The biggest challenge here, Colin, is uh, human resources. Um, and um, uh, thank you, Rob, for you know pointing out my age. I, I do have 25 years experience working in technology. It's my birthday in a few days, so send uh, send cards. Happy uh, birthday! But I've, I've I've never seen a technology, uh, starting with you know enterprise ERP technologies in the late 1990s, over digital to AI, blockchain, everything in between that requires so much human resource expertise. You can't fake it. Unlike other technologies, you can just go onto YouTube, maybe read a book, attend a couple of trade shows, and now do quantum. You, you have to get into that mindset. You have to have this Einstein moment where you're like, oof, what is this? I, this is really weird. It's freaking me out. You have to get over that hump by, by studying, and, and you don't have to MI, go to MIT, but you, know, you have to do some math. You have to really look at it and think about it. And then you have to figure out what's, what does it mean for you and, and, and your business, your industry, your profession. And that is the really the, the biggest hurdle. That, that is difficult to do if, if you're a company, a manager, an executive, and, and we're all busy and probably at our limits already in this crazy world. So that's a big, big ask, right? And I think that is the biggest challenge here. In terms of just accessing the technology, I think especially these big vendors have, have done a phenomenal job at building ecosystems, uh, not to do too much advertising, but IBM, who, who's the leader and who built the first physical qubit and first quantum computer about 20 years ago, they now have uh, uh, just short of 25 quantum computers available in the cloud. You can go to the IBM cloud, create a free account, and uh, mess around with a real quantum computer. That at least will get you the you know the feel and, and lay of the land of how it works, and then you have paying levels and eventually become a partner or do some consulting, and that's where the real financial burden starts uh, and the strategic ask. Uh, but plenty of offerings, also easy you know training resources and and and, uh, and GitHubs and uh, open source communities to get you started. So that that really I think Quantum has done a good job. Um, it's kind of this uh, this faith of you can't just innovate quantum the way that you did digital, the way that you did AI. Uh, it's not something incremental. Let's you know mm. go to a couple of conferences, wait and see. We'll follow suit, and we'll just hire a team. That's not how quantum works. Quantum quantum is you know people say it's it's the next uh, fire uh, wheel electricity, uh, but it is like that in the sense that it is something new, and what it does is new. It's going to work or not, it's going to come or not, but what it does will be new and um, we have to act accordingly. Yeah, yeah, I think there's a lot to that too, which is is great. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about, um, you know, aside from trying to make the perfect espresso, or uh, what I think the average person's understanding of quantum is probably comes from, you know, the Marvel Avengers Endgame and, uh, you know, going back to defeat Thanos, right? But you talked in uh, February uh, a couple of years ago about this notion of, um, and I think in the, in the blog you said quantum is the pipe, not the oil, which I thought was really interesting. Um, and, and it was all about use cases and how there's not necessarily these defined use cases, but more just the ability to leverage quantum on these things and in different areas. And so I'm curious, have you started to see, you know, what we would think of as traditional use cases or kind of these areas where quantum is definitely making a bigger impact 
Um, and, and I'm particularly interested in where you see that for good. Um, being a Californian, we struggle a lot with wildfires and drought. And I'm wondering, are there ways that quantum can help with those kinds of things, you know, and, and that kind of stuff? Anton Seilinger, one of the three fellows who, who was awarded the Nobel Prize yesterday, his nickname is Mr. Bean, mm. um, <laughs> because they actually have been able, uh, just like Mr. Spock, uh, to do beaming in the lab, which is, you know, another application of, uh, of quantum mechanics and, and quantum technology. So that is the far out stuff, but uh, truly everything that we've seen in science fiction movies uh, is rooted in quantum physics and, and, and quantum technologies. And that's uh, uh, what I mean when I say this uh, going to be new. Uh, the, the industry has done um, uh, also a, a great job at defining use cases and that entire process of you know, use case discovery, scoping, project management, measuring the results, implementation and so forth. And that's a great thing, but there's tension with the maturity of the technology. The use cases that, uh, that we have defined um, are way ahead of um, what the technology and the products can deliver. Mm. Uh, and that creates frustration. And I don't think that's a bad thing. People are being ambitious and, and they should be. But those use cases, uh, you know, you, you, you'll see if you Google that the Volkswagen has been working on new electric batteries that uh, basically don't have um, any real uh, distance limits to them. Um, you know, you've seen that uh, JP Morgan works on portfolio optimization. If you have a, a perfectly balanced financial investment portfolio with zero fees, we're all millionaires and, and, and don't have to work anymore, right? Um, uh, logistics, yep, that would be nice. Uh, logistics <laughs> providers, uh, if, uh, if FedEx or UPS has more than six trucks on the road and each truck needs to make more than six stops, again, a supercomputer is not able um, through its uh, classical limitations to calculate the optimal route. Um, so they are working on, you know, getting your, your packages in, in one hour or two hours rather than one day. So these use cases exist and we're going to crack them in the next three to five years. And that is amazing. Um, uh, for me, I'm, I still have this dream that it will be more of the pipe rather than the oil in it and just fundamentally change how companies, especially now that everything is data, right? Talking about oil, data is the, the next oil. Um, and, and that's what computers do. Uh, will there be big companies that say, hey, let's just enter this new quantum era and let's figure out how to build a totally clean, smart city with individual flying cars. Everybody has personalized healthcare. Um, it's uh, sunny all the time, snowy for those who prefer to ski. And um, uh, you have the perfect uh, espresso or margarita in your hand at, at all times, right? All of that is possible with quantum, and that's what I mean when I say it should be the pipeline, not the oil. For mm -hmm. me, the thinking in the industry right now is still too narrow, which it has to be because people need to demonstrate progress, they need to make money, they need to work with real companies, so that's fine. But where is the Tony Stark that yeah. is uh, kind <laughs> of uh, inventing the future? Yes. We don't have that in quantum yet. There, there are some emerging use cases, um, you know, a couple announcements and alliances around um, climate change. Of course, uh, something like CO2 extraction is, is uh, a typical optimization and be hard problem and something that quantum could easily solve in theory. Mm. Um, you, you see that emerging. Uh, you mentioned my one quantum organization. 
which is a, a sometimes thriving, sometimes struggling global community with about 15,000 members and, and chapters on four continents uh, run by volunteer presidents. We've looked at things like human trafficking in Nepal, mm. which is the single biggest contributor to the local GDP. Very, very sad. Uh, but which is also a node optimization problem of local resources on the ground. Again, the type of mathematical problem that a quantum computer could solve. So there's the spectrum of everything that's possible, Tony Stark, to the things that we should be doing, curing cancer, saving the climate, um, human trafficking, clean water, exactly. and, and the things that we're doing today. Uh, it's, it's a spectrum like everything in life, but uh, we still need the, the big thinkers. And for that, we need uh, diversity and baldness and you know uh, uh, break some of those boundaries uh, imposed by the big research universities and the big vendors. So on that topic with the big research universities, right, one of the things I'm wondering about is for students today, say, you know, in their 20s, young, who are interested in the space, um, but it's not necessarily getting taught right now at the university level. I don't see a lot of, you know, quantum courses, right, in, in degree programs and things like that. So if someone's interested in this space or wants to get connected, um, obviously the, you have your community, which is great, and people can join that. Um, very easy to, to do that. But where would you recommend people get started? And what, would, what should they be doing to get more connected in this? There's a lot of amazing resources out there that they are not easy to find. The first thing I would say is reach out to anyone that works in quantum. You know, look at the big companies and, and the big startups. They are easy to find and reach out to people. Everybody tends to be very friendly, very open and, and is eager to help because we all love quantum. So reach out to some somebody. That's That's a lot better than trying to Google it or... Um, you know, read it in, in one of the mainstream newspapers or, or tech magazines that, uh, that tend to be very hype-driven or, or, or just wrong, frankly. Uh, there are a lot of, um, you know, there's only two master's programs that I'm aware of. Um, I, I'm not aware of any bachelor programs, um, but a lot of universities are working on it. There's a lot of certificates that you can get from MIT Pro, from um, uh, these online universities and so forth. And then a lot of great associations. Um, uh, there's this amazing girl in New York, Anisha. Uh, she's 16 or 17 by now, who created a high school quantum club. And she has a few thousand members by now, wow. created all of her own videos and content to teach quantum uh, for high school kids. And, and, and it's absolutely amazing. Uh, it's called Q Community. Q, I can never pronounce it, but uh, you'll, you'll find it, Anisha Mista Community. Uh, and there's a lot of efforts uh, out there for, for women, for, for diversity, uh, for, for specific regions. Uh, best way is, uh, you know, re reach out to somebody and, and, and we'll help. Um, resources uh, in terms of uh, newsletters that are very useful. I think that's uh, how uh, many of us in the industry um, uh, get the information or, or, for example, the quantum computing report, which gives, you know, kind of the best uh, updates on what's happening in, in the world of uh, business and, and finance and products in quantum. Uh, you have the uh, ORNL newsletter, which is the Oak Ridge National Laboratory, which is kind of the, the, the source of information for scientific um, uh, uh, updates. Uh, and then you have newsletters like the Quantum Pirate, which um, <laughs> gives uh, uh, mostly community news and, and updates. So looking for that um, uh, is probably going to be helpful as well. So, Andre, did, did, this, as this is a, a security sort of um, podcast, what, what sort of 
security concerns does Quantum have, or is it similar to any other sort of technology um, in, in regards to security and security sort of issues that might arise from working with Quantum? I think the biggest concern here is uh, is the ethical and morals concerns, and uh, it's it's not the gun that kills people; it's it's the person uh, with the gun. Mm, okay. uh, and and we've talked about a lot of you know great or useful use cases, but the reason it's a, a national um, uh, strategic priority beyond the cybersecurity implications is because this can also be used to to um, come up with new uh, materials, new um, uh, new weapons, new explosives. Um, uh, new uh, kind of lasers and, and so forth. Uh, so there's a very, very significant military application for it. Um, uh, and of course, uh, you know, you could um, very easily, when you look at the quantum chemistry, for example, um, come up with uh, some very, very dangerous uh, compounds there. I think that is the security concern that folks are most concerned with uh, today. Also learning from history, there is debate in, in the community of how do we manage uh, uh, or potentially prevent or, or contain that. Um, in, in terms of a quantum computer, you know, a quantum computer is not like AI that, that might become sentient and, and take over the world. Um, uh, security threats to a quantum computer other than you know, direct physical um, uh, to the hardware um, uh, because this quantum system, back to Schrodinger's cat, is so figly, uh, you can't really mess with it. Um, uh, so there aren't many security concerns uh, there. It's uh, it's really the people that uh, that are using it that uh, that would be the biggest uh, threat. Yeah, and that's often the case with any sort of security. Now, I was just more curious if there there are different sort of angles. Perhaps it solves a lot of the security problems, which it sounds like it might do. You know, so. Um... So, so somebody like uh, like uh, China, for example, um, who, who has invested um, a rumored 25 billion compared to less than 5 billion in the US and into quantum over 10 years, uh, is uh, focused not on quantum computing, but quantum communications. Mm. And um, that uses the properties of uh, entanglement, especially, and again, Schrodinger's cat, to keep information safe. And build a sort of quantum internet, and, and maybe not for the public, but at least to um, uh, link together major metropolitan areas, government uh, uh, institutions, uh, you know, secret services, and so forth, um, uh, both uh, fiber, but also satellite-based. Um, uh, and that's the kind of risk that people are worried about. If they build their own parallel world that we can break or penetrate, that is a big security concern for us. That also enables them to potentially mess with GPS systems, with our satellites, or other communications infrastructure. And, and without communication, we're we're nothing. That right. that I think is what's top of mind for everybody. Right. And controlling information. So, yeah. Sandre, so we're, we're we're very close on time. Just wondering, is there anything that you might want to, you know, promote or talk about, or or, or let people know? be more aware of how, how they can get more involved, that kind of thing, as we wind up. I, I think it's great that you guys are having me. Uh, quantum is fascinating. Quantum is kind of this idea of, you know, do we have free will and uh, can we uh, live in different places at once? That is what quantum physics and the laws of quantum mechanics uh, describe, because if my table isn't made out of laminated wood, but 
just energies of waves, then uh, we live in a completely different reality, right? So it, it might be spooky, like Einstein said, but it's also fascinating. We're really just starting to figure it out. Uh, the theory is, uh, is proven. We've done the experiments to, to prove most of the theories and laws, and, and we're now uh, starting to build products. And, and this is going to change our world the way that uh, you know, fire, the wheel, electricity changed our world. Uh, and I think everybody ought to uh, you know, put themselves into a position to understand this because it is fascinating and, and, and scary, uh, but it is going to be the next uh, wave uh, of the future uh, with a lot of opportunities. So I think that's my key message. Uh, don't be scared of it. You don't need to go to MIT. You do need to do more than just go to a couple conferences and, and YouTube. So it is a personal investment, um, but it is absolutely fascinating. And if you get into it uh, today, you're still one of the pioneers and, and that's a unique opportunity. Excellent. Well, well thank you very much for, for being part of this. We really appreciate it. That's amazing insight. I'm going to have to read some books, I think. Yeah. Well, we'll have to have Andre back on at some point too, because I would love to explore just the connections between martial arts and sailing and quantum and <laughs> all of the fascinating discussions there. And, and I'm sure Chris wants to know if you can use quantum to help his disc golf game. Oh, I bet so. you can. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> if, if we live in a simulation, then uh, you've already won your next game. Oh, thank God. Disc golf in, in a There's a version quantum of me that wins. Any problem <laughs> better than beer <laughs> you can be the next james conrad there you go <laughs> who knows i wasn't <laughs> maybe in another universe i was <laughs> there you, go. you are right now maybe i am awesome. right now holy moly oh <laughs> shorting is chris <laughs> well, uh, great to be with you thank you so much yes, uh, love you. to come back and uh, you know anybody um uh, is welcome to reach out to me i i do have a funny little website andrekonig.com uh, but you'll find me on LinkedIn, on Google uh, easily. Don't be afraid to reach out to, to me, any of my colleagues, uh, anyone in my network. Most people are very, very friendly and love to talk about quantum. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you so, so Excellent. much. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Months ago. With that, well, thank you very much, guys. Um, another great episode. Really appreciate it. Great to be back. Hopefully, we'll, we'll be back again next month with another fine episode. Excellent. Thank you very yeah, much. Thank you. That was awesome. Woohoo! Yeah, that crypto heist was back in Hebrew. <laughs>